People argue that art can be many different things. Art is beauty for its own sake. Art is commercial or not. At its core, art is disruptive. From Monet to Banksy, art challenges the status quo. It provokes people to think and feel. It involves activating the imagination. André Breton, one of the founders of Surrealism, wrote in his 1924, in quotes, Manifesto of Surrealism, the quote says, The imagination is perhaps on the point of reasserting itself of reclaiming its rights, end quote. Imagination corresponds to change. To change the world, artists first have to see it differently and then manifest that into their mediums. The same thing is true for entrepreneurs and for companies. The key is training the mind to be comfortable with change. I think what I've realized over the past several years is that execution is fine and it's important, but strategy and constant iteration is is much more important. If you're doing the wrong thing, it doesn't matter how good you are at doing the wrong thing, you're still doing the wrong thing. You define industries or pockets of industries that don't have a lot of competition, where you can go in, you can be totally differentiated, you can capture a ton of value. And I think we've seen that in tech. A lot of the great tech businesses, there hasn't been phenomenal execution. A lot of them have just been really good ideas for really big markets that have been sitting out there all the time and people haven't totally realized it. That's Scott Lynn, the CEO and founder of Masterworks, a company that acquires pieces of art, turns them into securities through public filings with the SEC, and then presents them as products to investors through its platform. Scott saw a really big market that was stuck in an antiquated past. He had a vision that art could be owned and sold in an entirely new way, and that by doing so, he could turn the entire $50 billion art industry right on its head. Fundamentally, Masterworks promotes a greater democratization of the art world by providing access to many art investors who never had opportunity before. Buying and selling high-value art pieces has gone on for centuries. Current art assets may be worth well over a trillion dollars, but art has never been made into financial products. Why is that? What is unique about Masterworks that positioned the company to disrupt this massive market? If we think of Masterworks like a master artist and their business like a beautiful painting, What's the most important entrepreneurial lesson the master has to teach us so we can paint well too? I'm Jeremy Bergeron, Senior Vice President of Brand Strategy at Mission.org, and this is Business X Factors. Each and every week, we'll take a look at the secret sauce that takes companies to the highest levels of success and unpack how they actually got there. We'll dive into how these organizations are run, what's so special about the people, the culture, and the processes that make it all happen. What is technology for? Our friends at Highland believe technology is for transforming the way you work, for delivering complete information when and where you need it, so you can be more agile, more empowered, more connected. 
through each interaction and in every relationship. Highland believes in technology thoughtfully designed to create better customer experiences. Highland is your X factor for better performance. Go to highland.com forward slash insights to learn more. That's H-Y-L-A-N-D dot com slash insights. You can trace the beginning stage of Masterworks all the way back to Scott's teenage years. Just like artists, entrepreneurs learn by honing their craft over time, even those considered prodigies. They are taught that disruption is a good quality. Scott was a project-based kid who was always experimenting with new ideas and encouraged by his parents to try new things. For him, his imagination led him to create an internet game back before the internet was even really a thing. I was a geeky kid. I was doing stuff with bulletin board systems before the internet. I got involved in the internet very early in, in the mid-90s doing web design for what effectively now is like HTML 1.0 to make a little bit of extra money in high school. I had this friend who was an engineer. He was like C programmer. We both liked the idea of like doing things on the internet, but couldn't exactly understand what to do. And we just came up with this very simple idea, which was build a game on the internet that showed advertising when people played the game. So it was a dynamic website, which at the time, like HTML 1.0, there weren't really dynamic websites. So we created really one of the first dynamic websites for this game which was a sweepstakes game where people could try to win money. And it became the most popular game on the internet, not because it just took off organically, but because we went out and there was an online advertising network called Flycast at the time. I think at this point I was like, I don't even know, maybe 16 years old living in, in my mom's house. It was the early days of the internet. So everything was totally crazy. And I went to this online advertising network and I applied for $400,000 in ad credit to buy advertising and promote the game. We knew that if we spent a dollar in advertising and we drove people to the game and they clicked around a bunch and they saw a bunch of advertising that we'd make a dollar 50, right? So I got the $400,000 in ad credit as a kid, how I got approved for credit, I have no idea. And just went out and spent the $400,000 and made $600,000, spent the $600,000, made $900,000. Early success for Scott with his online game was exciting but it came with a lot of learning and tremendous responsibility for someone so young. As a teenage CEO, Scott learned hard lessons that would lay the foundation for all of his future entrepreneurial ventures. We wound up, I think when I was 18 or 19, having 130 or 140 employees. And not only was I learning on the fly on how to be a CEO and manage things at a very young age, but almost the industry was learning on the fly, right? Like there weren't people who worked at internet companies that you could hire. So you're hiring people from all of these traditional industries and training them on how to do internet things for the first time ever. So it was just totally chaotic and, you know, crazy. And the other thing that I would say is that business eventually failed. We had a big business really built on dot-com advertisers. Rolling forward to November of 2000, the entire industry fell apart. In November of 2000, we lost something like 70 to 80% of our customers in a matter of weeks. You know, we, we were kids effectively running this business, we had to restructure it, really downsize it and just figure out how to go forward. And I think that was as beneficial as the growth phase. 
it was a really unique opportunity to have a business that scaled really quickly and then fell apart at a really young age. Succeeding early on can teach a young entrepreneur invaluable lessons, but perhaps even more important are those learned while watching your success dissipate in front of your eyes. From there, it's all about taking what one's learned and repeating the creative process only more refined with each turn. Whether you're an artist or an entrepreneur, you start to see the world more and more clearly and therefore can reshape it with greater confidence. I eventually started this company called Ad Knowledge, which is an online advertising company in 2004, which became a really big online advertising company. Really, my skill set at the time was less about casual gaming and more about advertising because we made all of our money from the game from advertising. So the natural transition was using that information to really build up this big ad network, which at its peak was five or 600 employees, three to 400 million in revenue. This has been the theme throughout my entire career, taking something I know or have some domain expertise in and then just leveraging it into to starting something new. One constant passion in Scott's career has been to continually create new companies. The other passion has been to collect artwork for 20 years, so much so that he's even developed a top 100 art collection. This provided him his magic ingredients, some domain experience, and an entrepreneurial mindset that allowed him to see opportunities where others couldn't. In founding Masterworks, Scott combined his passion for collecting art with a market area that had been previously untapped. So sometimes as an entrepreneur, you're just sitting around and you have this aha moment where you're like, wow, there's a one and a half trillion dollar asset class that's sitting out there that's outperformed public equities, that's uncorrelated other asset classes, and nobody's ever built an investment product for it. We like to help people understand this by comparing it to venture and private equity, which everyone knows. So venture and private equity is a three and a half trillion dollar asset class. There's literally 9,000 firms that help people allocate to venture and private equity. Like we all know people running venture firms, but art is half that size and there's nobody outside of us doing anything in it. We get asked why we're the only ones doing it at least once a day. And I don't know the answer to that. When you look at Sotheby's and Christie's, I mean, Sotheby's and Christie's, the two largest auction houses in the art market, Sotheby's is 275 years old. Christie's is 250 years old. Public auctions in the art market have been happening for centuries. But for whatever reason, nobody's ever really built an investment product for the asset class. To me, it was obvious why someone else hasn't done it. I, I, I don't know. It's wild to think of investing in art as a new market, especially with art having so much monetary value. How many times have you seen a headline about a painting selling for millions or a blockbuster heist film about art thieves? Clearly, we know that art is valuable, but nobody has turned art into investment products in the way Masterworks is doing it. We're making it easy for anyone to invest in art, which has never happened before. You know, for me personally, it's super cool just being in the art market for a long time. I think the art market has created this entire infrastructure around not being accessible. If you walk into a gallery in Chelsea, if you walk into a gallery uptown in, in New York City, like most of the time, people don't even come up and talk to you. It's just this weird industry that caters to the handful of ultra wealthy people. And I think Masterworks is cool in that we're taking these paintings and these objects that a lot of people never even seen before and just making it more accessible. But when you're blazing a new trail, 
it's important to have some of the basics nailed down before setting off into the wild. So, to disrupt and then corner this new market, Scott and Masterworks first had to figure out how to evaluate it. How much are paintings worth and how do they appreciate? When we started the business, the art market had never been digitized. So what that means is we literally went out and we located and found and purchased paper auction catalogs going back to the 1950s, along with the price lists that, that during those evening sales, they would distribute after the sale ended for how much things sold for. And these price lists are crazy, right? These price lists are like manually typed out wow. price lists that they would hand out in 1953 after an auction ended to everyone who was in attendance. Jeez. That project in itself was huge. So they're, they're for sale in like used bookstores and online. We wound up locating different groups of catalogs in different segments of the market. Really for everything except Old Masters, we, we the Old Masters project was just too hard. So we had 30 interns basically go out and just enter data from these auction catalogs into yeah. the database. And that was the very first version of that data set. Now today, we've partnered with firms like, like Goldman, Nomura, B of A, U.S. Trust, others to give them access to that data or portions of that data so that their researchers can use it as well to understand how the art market is performing. I think Masterworks is doing things that in any other asset class would not be regarded as that revolutionary. It's just that none of this stuff has ever been done in the art market before. Skilled artists often use whatever materials they have access to in order to make their art. Limitations of resources are seen as opportunities. Similarly, Masterworks used whatever resources they could in order to begin to evaluate the art market. Artists are willing to struggle through a process to uncover beauty. Masterworks persevered through the regulation process, and now their regulatory expertise is an asset. We didn't actually know how to securitize a painting other than to take an individual work of art and file it as a public offering, just like Uber goes public. We didn't know if the SEC would necessarily buy into the fact that an individual painting can be a public offering for a whole host of reasons. We're, we're launching one of these vehicles every week. We're the largest filer of IPOs with the SEC, but we didn't know that back then. So it took us a year and a half to get the first investment vehicle through the SEC. And I think the thing that's interesting about regulated businesses is that in the beginning, they are incredibly hard. I subscribe to the theory of like, you know, move fast and break things as an entrepreneur. You can't do that in a regulated space. So it's very hard for new entrants or new competitors to come into the space and compete with you without really going through that same process themselves. Identifying an open market, accumulating and analyzing data, and having the discipline to work through an unforgiving regulatory process have all been components in Masterwork's success. But what is their particular way of painting, so to speak, that makes Masterworks such an artful company? And what impact has Masterworks had when it comes to opening up this market to those folks who for so long were left on the wrong side of those velvet ropes? Find out after the break. When I need help, I want someone who understands where I am now and where I'm coming from, but with a broader perspective. The folks at Highland are like that. Highland is a true partner to more than half of Fortune 100 companies, a partner that understands your industry and offers expertly tailored solutions that evolve with you. With Highland, 
you gain a complete view of information across your organization, along with the agility to compete at the top of your game and deliver better customer experiences. Highland is your X factor for better performance. Go to highland.com forward slash insights to learn more. That's H-Y-L-A-N-D.com slash insights. Masterworks is a place where strategy and change are too often used complementary colors on the palette. I think what I've realized over the past several years is that execution is fine and it's important, but strategy and constant iteration is, is much more important. If you're doing the wrong thing, it doesn't matter how good you are at doing the wrong thing, you're still doing the wrong thing. You define industries or pockets of industries that don't have a lot of competition where you can go in you can be totally differentiated you can capture a ton of value and i think we've seen that in tech a lot of the great tech businesses there hasn't been phenomenal execution a lot of them have just been really good ideas for really big markets that have been sitting out there all the time and people haven't totally realized it so the first mover winds up taking a lot of that value the reason i think iteration is important is because A lot of the stuff that we do is luck. As entrepreneurs or individuals, how do you create as much luck as possible for yourself? I think you just keep iterating as fast as possible. Then you keep trying new things. If one business doesn't work, you move on, you try something else. You just keep trying as much stuff. So the probability of you being lucky is greater. Small iterations over time is what has led to the success of some of the world's most famous brands. James Dyson, created more than 5,000 prototypes before creating his famous vacuum. Google was a search engine among many search engines until they iterated and created AdWords and AdSense. Every year, the iPhone comes out with a new design and new features, some that work and some that don't. Yes, Apple, I still want my aux port back. Success is never final, but creating an environment where iteration is encouraged and valued is a lot harder than business leaders might presume. It requires turning perceived failures into pivots and then reframing the entire business model at times. Masterworks is no stranger to facing a roadblock and trying new things to get creativity flowing again. For example, the company pivoted from its early intention of being a blockchain business. Our very early version of the business, version 1.0, was a blockchain business. We've really moved away from that because of regulation. We were the first company ever to put a public offering in front of the SEC with blockchain language in it. That's one of the reasons that I think our first offering took a year and a half to get qualified by the SEC. That was really only because we removed that blockchain language. Where a different organization may have fixated on one idea and pushed tirelessly to get it through regulators. Masterworks has an environment where evolving is what it's all about. There are other good ideas out there. You just have to be open to pivoting quickly and taking them for a spin. It was a lesson Scott learned early on and one he applied time and time again as he continued to hone Masterworks' business model. How do we productize the asset class? When we started the business, we didn't know if there'd be product market fit. Like, did, do people actually want to invest in art? The very first offering we did was this Andy Warhol, Maryland reversal painting. At the time, we didn't know 
how much Warhol's market was actually appreciating. I assumed it was good. And I think the hardest moments in the business were just those very early days of getting the first investors in. Our minimum was $20 investment. I remember our first big press piece where we got a bunch of traffic to the website was the CNN style article on the business. And we got thousands of investors in from this article and they all invested $20 each. So we're like, wow, that was a lot of effort to raise $20,000 in capital. So there were a lot of moments like that that I think were really hard. And it goes back to my earlier comment on iteration, right? Like we just kept iterating on the funnel, iterating on positioning, figuring out how do we really market the asset class, like characteristics perspective, like appreciation rate perspective. It's easy to fall in the trap of thinking that everything comes down to one key decision. The truth is that success is based on many small choices. Even a seemingly small adjustment from what's considered a business must have can make a huge difference in an outcome. Should we build a mobile app? And everyone at the time was building mobile apps and that, that was their main platform. And we really decided not to for a handful of reasons, mainly because we wanted our investor to be investing thousands of dollars rather than tens of dollars or hundreds of dollars. And we just felt like that user experience is very different between a mobile app and a web app. So I think there's a lot of decisions like that that we made early on that were uh, helpful to the business. And the business is still growing. It's a painting that's being touched up here and there constantly as Scott and the Masterworks team see more clearly who they are serving and how best to do it. Another example of Masterworks being willing to make an adjustment from a more traditional position is how they are willing to bank on certain artists with an unconfirmed identity and a penchant for the dramatic. We identified Banksy a couple of years ago as what we refer to as a momentum artist, right? An artist whose prices are, are accelerating. And we started buying Banksy. Now, at that point in time, that was a pretty controversial decision because Banksy's anonymous. Banksy doesn't have a gallery that represents him. So there's nobody in the art market that's really building his collector base, building his market, coordinating with institutions, show his works. He's effectively a pop culture artist to a certain extent that's not really recognized by the art world infrastructure. But we saw his prices going up and we saw the demand in particular for new collectors coming into the art market for his work to be really high. And I think what we've seen over the past year is his prices have skyrocketed. I think his prices have appreciated nearly 100% over the past 12, 12, 18 months. He's clearly at a different level as an artist than he was two years ago. Thoughts on the well-known painting? I think it was the girl with the balloon that self-destructed after it sold yeah. for like 1.4 million. And then, re and then resold, yeah. I mean, how does that affect the value of his art and what is your thoughts on that? You know, the point he was trying to make is what is art? That was clearly an example of performance art, mm -hmm. which did its job, right? I mean, that was well publicized and covered almost everywhere around the world. And at least for those of us in the art world, we'll always remember that moment in time. I think that's an interesting, credible example of, of art. Mm -hmm. There's a common phrase that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And when applied here, common sense suggests that with something as subjective as art, it would be very difficult to evaluate artwork in a way that everyone can agree with and understand. Common sense is often wrong. I think what's interesting is a lot of people think that public equities and other asset classes are just too hard to understand. Is Google overvalued? Is Google undervalued? Like, I don't know, what's their cash flow? What's their PE ratio? How do I think about what they're spending on CapEx? Most of that conversation is too complicated 
for most investors. But analyzing a painting is much easier. It's much more straightforward. It's kind of like analyzing a piece of real estate. You're looking at comps, you're looking at how those comps have appreciated historically. So I do think we're also just attracting a new type of investor who's maybe not a traditional self-directed retail investor to the asset class as well. There's no doubt the future is beautiful for Masterworks with potential for new possibilities that drive the art market forward and create access for more people to get involved. I think the goal is to take the business public. It's growing super fast and you know, it's already profitable. Today, if you go to the Masterworks website, you can pick and choose individual paintings to invest in. We have trading markets. You can trade shares in individual paintings. We're just now building out teams to sell products into the investment advisor community. It's still so early. I mean, we could work in this business for 20 years and, and still not make a huge dent in just the total size of the market in the asset class. Let's go back to the surrealist André Breton for a moment. At the end of the manifesto, he wrote, quote, This summer the roses are blue, the wood is of glass, the earth draped in its verdant cloak makes as little impression upon me as a ghost. It is living and ceasing to live which are imaginary solutions. Existence is elsewhere. End quote. He's talking about the unconscious here. The Surrealists suggested changing reality in order to tap into the unconscious. This is where art and disruption begins. To be successful as an artist, an entrepreneur, or as a company, disruption must become a way of life. Oftentimes, a blossoming artist trains with a master in order to grow and learn. In this case, Masterworks gives us their greatest lesson, that iteration and change is a strategy. Rather than only paint the first vision that came to mind, Scott and his team questioned and continue to question theirs and the industry's assumptions. In doing so, they've built a company that is in many ways its own evolving work of art. I don't know about you, but when I have a decision to make, I look for information. I may look through emails, documents, photos, and files in multiple places. And if I'm lucky, I find what I'm looking for. So it's amazing to me that while I have trouble finding a single file, some organizations' success hinges on making sure that the right people can get all the right information they need when and where they need it. Like hospitals, insurers, banks, and all sorts of businesses. I don't know how they do it, but our friends at Highland do. Highland empowers more than half of 2020 Fortune 100 companies with tools that help make sure the right information gets to the right folks easily and automatically and makes business processes smarter and more efficient. Highland is your X factor for better performance. Go to highland.com forward slash insights to learn more. That's H-Y-L-A-N-D.com slash insights. You've been listening to Business X Factors, created by Mission.org and brought to you by Highland. If you like this show, please be sure to subscribe or follow on your favorite podcast app. We'd also be super grateful if you rated and reviewed us on Apple Podcasts, as this helps ensure that more amazing listeners just like you find the show. Thanks for listening. I'm Jeremy Bergeron, and I'll catch you next time 
on Business X Factors.